New York hasn't always been this vessel for global wealth. In the 1970s and 1980s, the city was by and large considered dangerous. Homicides were at all-time highs, drugs were widespread. But at the turn of the 21st century, something shifted. The city's real estate started to change, and suddenly you had these billion-dollar amenity developments like the High Line and $200 million penthouse sales. But who was responsible for all that change, and how did it happen? This is Deconstruct. Today, we're talking to Adam Puri, the author of The New Kings of New York. Full disclosure, this book was published by The Real Deal, and it's available for pre-order now. I know that's self-promotional, but it is one of the most comprehensive accounts of the players that shaped the New York City we know today. So Adam, when did you get started on this book? How long did it take you? So I worked on it for about a year. You know, that, that's how long I devoted to it, kind of full-time, the reporting. And, uh, and then we, you know, we went back and forth and I updated it and, and added stuff, uh, you know, basically up until recently. Adam tells me the book tracks this mindset shift in New York. In the 90s, there was a shift towards pro-development. Under former mayor Michael Bloomberg and his right-hand man Daniel Doktoroff, public amenities started to get built. It really kind of started in the late 90s with the, um, with the opening or the bidding for the Time Warner Center, which really transformed that area and, and led to the birth of Billionaires Row and sort of a new kind of luxury housing for the 1%. And also the, um, the first building that the Zeckendorf brothers had done which was kind of another one of the first really high-end condominiums um, that appealed to sort of the ultra-rich. What was interesting is just in the beginning, in the late 90s, New York was still emerging, you know, from the 70s, basically still recovering from that. And it was very much still front and center, this idea that the city needed to recover. And the developers were, the sentiment towards development was, was somewhat pro-development. And we really went through this cycle where New Yorkers embraced what was being done. You know, people loved the High Line. They loved um, Time Warner Center. But those amenities were designed in part to lure the creative class and, you know, make people want to live here. And they, the city became so desirable and crime fell so quickly that everybody wanted to live here. So all the rich people who weren't necessarily artists and weren't necessarily edgy moved back into town. After the Time Warner Center and the High Line and Hudson Yards and Billionaires Row, the city didn't exactly stay pro-development. So my book spans this transformation and, and, and there was a sweet spot. And then, you know, sort of what people have called hyper gentrification took over and there there was this backlash which was reflected in the election of mayor de blasio i think i had filed the first draft right before amazon pulled out of new york you know for after new york won the headquarters and that was a, a pretty major event and it and so i sort of had to add a whole another section after that you know when the amazon thing happened and when hudson yards opened the reaction to it it was just clear that there was a huge backlash so I wrote a few chapters on things that had happened, uh, including, you know, the downfall of Sheldon Silver and, um, you know, the downfall of these uh, legislative leaders that had been had close ties to the real estate industry and the rise of, you know, the Socialist Democratic Party and and sort of this populist tide that was um, kind of anti real estate in some ways or, or or was, you know, kind of a reaction against the policies that had been put in place by Bloomberg and 
and Dan Doktoroff. So Adam, you talked to a ton of pretty big name developers and real estate investors for this book. Who were some of these people? I try and tell the story through the developers um, at the center of it and try and get in their heads a bit. I met Michael Lewis, who wrote The Big Short and, and um, a bunch of other books. He's one of my favorite um, narrative authors. And I asked him, I said, how do you make a boring topic interesting? And he said, it's all about the characters, right? You get a good character, the reader will follow you anywhere. So I tried to do that. I tried to get good characters. And, and um, the main people that I was able to focus on was Steve Ross, who's a, you know, he's built Time Warner Center in Hudson Yards and owns the Miami Dolphins. And just is so successful, he doesn't really care what anyone thinks and was pretty candid. And I talked to him and a bunch of his deputies and was really able to kind of trace the rise of Related and trace his own career arc. But yeah, I had a few interviews with him in his office and, um, you know, he's an entertaining guy and his office is pretty, was pretty sweet. You know, it's over it, back then it was overlooking Central Park and Time Warner Center, all these footballs around framed jerseys. At one point, it was like a week before the NFL draft and the interview kept being interrupted by calls from his general manager and coach, um, which I enjoyed because I'm a football fan. Not that I don't really like the Miami Dolphins, but I found that entertaining. So he was interesting. And then should I go on the, about the other people? Yeah, 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 go. So then um, I wanted to do Kent Swig, which some people were skeptical of because he hasn't really been a force in the industry for a few years, but his story was so fascinating to me. And I, and I had interviewed him before and his story is just that, you know, he was like real estate royalty. He was Harry Mackla's son-in-law, his father, his uh, grandfather founded the Fairmont um, hotel chain, and he had grown up a wealthy kind of trustafarian, I guess, who, uh, and he was, he's like, you know, he's an affable guy. He didn't want to go into real estate. He went to Brown University and wanted to become an international lawyer, and he lived in China. And so he's just an interesting guy, but he had gotten sucked into real estate and knew it and learned through Harry Macklow and was also present at Times Square in the 70s. I was also trying to tell the story through these characters of how the city had transformed and what it was like to operate, not just in the 90s and 2000s, but, you know, way back. So he was in Times Square when it was, you know, the bad old days uh, doing Hotel for Harry Macklow. And, and but the thing that was fascinating to me about him was just that he lost everything for a time. You know, he was in the most, I don't know how many billion of dollars in debt, I forget, but there were so many creditors coming after him and his credit cards were frozen and he was attacked with an ice bucket by his partner and made fun of by, you know, in the New York Post because it's so encapsulated what was going on during the Lehman crash. His wife divorced him. He was, you know, in, in, law, in lawsuits against his um, uh, in-laws. And um, I just want to know what that was like. It's kind of the flip side of Steve Ross. Well, Steve Ross had his troubles too at a certain point, but, you know, for much of the book, he's very successful. So I wanted to know how you get through something like that, how something like that happens. I mean, how do you live with that kind of pressure? And he was, and he was very candid with me and, um, and very articulate, you know, uh, Ken Swig. He, he was wearing a willing to share some details, like the time his bankers met him on the corner, gave him a credit card and said, we're worried that you don't have enough food to eat, you know, and um, go buy some groceries at Trader Joe's. Yeah. And then, you know, after the crash, I, I talked to Gary Barnett, who sort of founded Billionaires Row. I talked to some of the brokers who were at the center of getting foreign money. You know, like I talked to Nikki Field at Sotheby's, who was telling me 
which I found pretty interesting, especially in light of what's going on now with Russian sanctions. I just wrote a story for Newsweek about this. After Lehman Brothers crashed, everybody was calling and they were desperate to unload their properties because they lost their job, but nobody was buying because the financial system was collapsing. People at Fortress or other people were like probably hoarding gold bars in anticipation of the apocalypse. So what she did is she went abroad and the first place she went was Moscow. And then she went to Beijing and she went to all these places. And what she did is she she used her banking connections in New York to set up meetings with private bankers overseas. And these private bankers are the people who acted on behalf of some of these foreign buyers. And was she was able to sell some of the first apartments in one West 57th Street. So anyways, I did Ken Swig. I, I met with this, you know, the Zeckendorf brothers um, who, who pioneered a certain kind of luxury housing, including 15 Central Park West. One big coup was I was able to get in to see the folks of Fortress. That's where my book really was helpful because uh, Fortress is very tight-lipped, secretive, private equity firm. And they were at the center of a lot of deals. You know, they took over some of Ken Swig's properties. They took over Stytown after it went bankrupt. They called in the $1 billion debt from Harry Macklow. I was able to talk to the people who had given Harry Macklow the loan and then called it in. Adam said not everyone talked to him, though. Uh, Harry Macklow did not talk to me. I was supposed to talk to him, but then he got angry about the Real Deal's coverage of his divorce trial and refused to talk to me. Books had already been written about him anyways, and I had the other side of the story. And so so that was fun. So what are some of the most interesting stories or anecdotes in the book? You know, parts that really excited you or were really interesting? Just anecdotes like talking to the guy at Fortress about what it's like to have somebody call you up, Harry Macklow, and say, can I borrow a billion dollars? I need it next week. You know, getting kind of the blow by blow of how he walked down the hall to his boss's office and it's like, or turned to the guy next to him and it's like, you're not going to believe the deal that Harry wants to do. And then just like learning about how, how Fortress works and how they protect themselves and how they make money, which is basically they, Pete Brigger, the, you know, one of the top guys at Fortress was, he likes to say they're garbage collectors. So that was interesting. It was interesting talking to Gary Barnett and his, um, his acquisitions chief, Dove Hertz, about how they uh, acquired all these parcels, you know, to build like 157 or some of the buildings that they're doing now. And Dove Hertz was telling me, you know, he compared it to trying to get a cat to come out from under a couch. You know, he would go knock on these people's doors and they didn't weren't interested in selling and he didn't want them to know what he was doing. So he'd have to somehow start a conversation with them and just like, you know, you know, well, we're just interested in, you know, green buildings or blue buildings or buildings in in on, you know, and he would sort of not really tell them that they were doing an assemblage and just, you know, give some other pretext and he would get to know them and it would take time. So. Adam, would you encourage people to go buy the book? I guess, who should go buy the book? I wanted it to be a book that you could read like a real estate class at NYU or Columbia uh, and learn something. I wanted it to be a book that people would have on their shelf next to Skyscraper Dreams and it would be a history and provide some insight. But I also wanted it to be a book that people could read on the beach. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a good book. I think people should buy it. Deconstruct is every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you have a comment on this episode or on the series, or if you have an idea you'd like to share, 
feel free to email us at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we're talking about home flipping in California and rising home prices. Tune in then.